I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Well, how would you like a new cartridge? <laughs> yeah, it appears that there is a new cartridge on the horizon. It may already be a commercial round. I'm not really sure because thanks to one of you commenting uh, via Patreon, I have just discovered a 338 Razorback. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Ron Spomer Outdoors Podcast and the 338 Razorback. What is this? Well, it took one of my patrons to alert me to this cartridge. This is from Bird, and he said, Hey, Ron, I've got an interesting wildcat for you. So it's still a wildcat cartridge. I just stumbled across a 338 Razorback. There are some cool videos on YouTube, and all the blog posts I've seen seem to have this cartridge in a 7 to 10 inch barreled AR 15 with a suppressor. I'm thinking a Remington Model 700 action with a 10-inch barrel and a can, meaning a suppressor, would bring it to about 18 to 20 inches total length. What are your thoughts? (laughs) Well, I immediately responded to Bird and said, uh, my thought that if you're going to run this cartridge in a Remington Model 700, why not go with the longer RART? cartridge. Why bother with that little shorty? That thing was designed to function in an AR-15 and a Model 700 action is plenty long enough to shoot what I call real cartridges like the 308 Winchester. <laughs> so then I said, hey, why don't you instead go to a mini action such as that from Hawa? The Hawa mini action is set up for really short cartridges, so it would be more efficient. Otherwise, I think your barrel setup sounds about right. So uh, we have to do a little explaining for the rest of you folks. I had to look this thing up. The 338 Razorback is the 10 millimeter auto loading pistol cartridge necked (laughs) to take the neck down, I guess it would be. Yeah, because that's a 40. They would neck it down to take a 338 bullet. And then, of course, they put a bullet on top this little case that's longer than the case itself. This is obviously another one of the subsonic rounds that they're building for AR-15s. The whole idea is to shoot a big bullet that kills via momentum and punching a big hole rather than any kind of explosive energy from a high-velocity bullet. And the guys are using these for taking out or culling feral hogs, which, of course, are a huge environmental problem across the south especially. But they're getting pretty darn far north now. And they do hundreds of millions of dollars of damage, both agricultural and wild lands. Because you can imagine a hog is an omnivore, and they reproduce like rabbits. 
And they're on the ground, sniffing and snorting and digging. So they're digging up rare plants and roots, tearing up the understory, and eating anything and everything they find, like quail nests, songbird nests, turkey nests, you name it. Big problem. So more power to anyone who's out there with any rifle, cartridge, bullet, no matter how strange it might sound, taking out these feral hogs. It's an important job, and we need to attack it. So the 338 Razorback 10 millimeter auto loading cartridge neck down to 338, and I'm guessing it's shooting 200 grain bullets or something crazy. You might want to do some research on that one. But as I told Bird, if he wants one in a bold action rifle, you might as well go with a really short action like the mini action from Hawa. All right, this next one is from another patron, Mike, and Mike asks about some bullets and a 6.5 Creedmoor. He said he's re. Uh, Shot three deer with the 6.5 Creedmoor and the ELDX bullet. That's a real accurate and popular bullet, high BC, from Hornady. He said uh, it never went all the way through the deer. And three of them I had to track. One I had to use a second bullet to finish it off. At your suggestion, I switched to a Barnes TTSX copper bullet. And the first deer at 225 yards... Straight through and right down. My barrel is just 20 inches long, so I don't think it's so much the barrel as the bullet that was causing my problems with those other bullets. Love your podcast, Mike. So I had been visiting with Mike off and on with about this topic, trying to figure things out. And he was having trouble with these bullets not penetrating all the way through. And not to be, it's not unexpected with a bullet like that. Uh, the ELDX bullet is not exactly designed to do what, say, the Hornady CX all-copper bullet is designed to do, which is expand and carry all of its weight and punch through most of the time. And, of course, that's what you get with Barnes bullets or any of the copper bullets. They just retain so much weight and stay in one piece, so they penetrate all the way through. And since he was having trouble tracking his deer, even though they were dead with the uh, ELDX bullet, he just had a track and some pretty heavy cover and he didn't enjoy that and thought it was a problem. He wanted his deer dead and or a good blood trail. And of course, punching through usually gives you a better chance for a good blood trail because you have two holes and the exit hole is usually fairly large and they can bleed out and leave a nice blood trail. So I said, hey, you just might want to try the TTSX. So he did, and he had good luck with it. So uh, congrats to you there, sir. Now, Mike, if the next time you have problems finding a deer with that bullet, <laughs> I hope you don't chew me up for suggesting the wrong one. Because I think the important thing for all of us to understand here is that you can have problems with any bullet. There is not, well, this is a good pun. There's no magic bullet. <laughs> they're, they're all capable of doing the job, but they're all capable of failing in some strange and unusual ways too. It's just the way the world works. I always say it behooves every hunter to know his, his cartridge, his rifle, his bullet, their typical performance, how animals respond to that, but then be ready to be a tracker. A hunter is a tracker, a scout, a woodsman. You've got to be able to find those deer by following blood sign, hair, tracks, knowing typically where a wounded animal is going to run to on its death run and things like that. That's what makes a complete hunter. So don't just depend on your tools, your cartridges and bullets and all the rest of it. You've got to apply some good old-fashioned woodsmanship to your hunting as well. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, 
If we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com waypoint. That's mintmobile.com waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com waypoint. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Eating better is easy with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, which is the one I like, and Keto. Get started today and get after your goals. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 and use the code waypointpod50 to get 50% off. That's waypointpod50 at factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 to get 50% off. All right. Now the team has gotten me the computer full of pages of questions here. Now, before we get to the questions, I was just handed a page with a, a correction on it. Imagine that. This is from Mac, who is, looks like he's got some questions about something I said about scopes. Oh, this is from a video I did on my regular channel, Ron Spomer Outdoors, on uh, scopes, what to look for in a rifle scope and all. And I said something about first focal planes versus second focal planes. And he's saying that I got it wrong. He says, if you have a first focal plane scope, um, no, he says, if you have a second focal plane scope, the aim point will always change when you change the zoom. And this is why you zero them in and leave it. Not so with the first focal plane scope. Uh, Mac, I think you're you're not quite right there. You're sort of right. It only changes if you're using subreticals. See, the second focal plane does not change the size of the reticle or the gaps between the reticle. So if you set your scope up so that the first subreticle below the center reticle is dead on for, say, 300-yard shot, but then you crank your power down, you've changed the span of that. And it's now not going to be accurate at 300 yards. And if your second one down is good for 350 yards at full power on your scope and you turn the power down, that's not going to be accurate. That's where they change. But if you just use your center crosshair, that does not change. You probably understand that and just didn't word it so that it made sense for me. But the, the center reticle is always good. Second focal plane scope, if you've got a 2 to 10, you can shoot it at 2, 6, 8, 10, any setting you want. Using that center, that is always going to be dead center. That's where your bullet's going. Um, obviously, it's going to have drop and deflection and everything else. But it's only when you use the sub reticles that you get into trouble. You want to work with a first focal plane scope and then the 
dimensions, the subtensions between those radicals and your target remain consistent. So you can turn it up and down and dial it all over. So that's what you want to be concerned about on scopes. All right, now we're going to get to the questions here on the list of the computer. And this is from ah, another Australia fan. Love it. This is a gentleman who calls himself, well, it could be a gentle woman calling herself Iron, but I suspect with Iron, it's probably a guy. At any rate, he says, hey, Ron, I'm a massive fan from the land down under. I love it. My question is, if I were to fit a muzzle brake on my Sauer 30-06, will it change the point of impact considerably or will it just be minor? I'm shooting 165 grain Corlocks, and I primarily use it on sambar deer. Boy, I need to hunt one of those someday. It sounds like fun. And every now and then, it's on paper at the range. So I love your content. Keep up the great work, mate. Hey, appreciate it. Iron, um, yeah, you got to recite that thing. You can get some pretty significant changes. Two reasons. One is the weight out in the barrel changes your vibrations and oscillations of the barrel and stuff. And then the other is... Um, the muzzle brake is, uh, it just could change the gases coming out of the brake and all could just change things up enough. Most of it has to do with the vibrations though. Yeah, you've got it. Got to recite that. Every once in a while, you'll find a rifle that just delivers the same regardless. But anytime you're making changes on your barrel, whether you're hanging a suppressor on the end of it or a muzzle brake or taking something off or cutting an inch off or something, you're going to change your impacts usually. So Definitely check that one out. All right. From Georgia, we get a question from David. Hey, Ron, I enjoy your videos very much. Thanks. Appreciate that. Hey, thanks for sharing your knowledge and passion. Now, I see that your predator hunting book is sold out. Are you planning a revision? I'm just getting started in predator hunting, and, of course, I could use some help. Tactics and strategies may not have changed much, but there have been a lot of new bullets, powders, and etc. Thanks, David. David, yes, we have sold out of that book, but I have found out that it's still available from the publisher. I think it's in its second or third publisher, um, but they are available. I've seen them on Amazon. So you can go to Amazon, look for Ron Spomer's Predator Hunting book, and you should be able to buy one there for as long as it lasts. I don't know. Maybe they'll start or continue printing those. But what you ask here is something I have been thinking about. Um, Maybe it is time to do a new bullet, um, at least part of the book. I think I would do an entirely new Predator book because uh, there are new callers on the market and um, suppressors have really come on strong now. And I didn't address those much in the previous book and stuff. But you can still find that book. But stay tuned. I might just get around to writing a whole new one after I finish my current ballistic book. I'm working on one. I'm about three-fourths of the way through it, and it is about cartridges and ballistics that I think will appeal to a whole bunch of hunters and shooters. We'll see how well that does, and of course, I will announce it when it is available. Thanks for that question, David. Here is one from Manitoba, Canada. Scott. Hey, Ron, could you do a video on recommendations, comparisons on peep sights, iron sights, low-powered scopes, red dots, etc. for close-range thick brush hunting situations? Ooh, yeah, you're kind of covering it all there, but basically you're asking for good information on sighting systems for hunting in thick brush, close-range stuff. That is good, and yeah, 
that and that was sounds like a good video to do. I will do that video on our regular channel, Ron Spomer Outdoors, because we'll have to show the scopes and the iron sights and all that sort of thing. Um, meantime, just do a little research on your own. I think a real good source uh, would be Skinner Sights. They uh, make all kinds of great peep sights and open sights, iron sights of various kinds. And I think, if I remember correctly, they're even getting into either red dots or scopes. So they're good folks, good, dependable, honest folks that uh, go out of their way to provide you with good, useful information too. So you want to check them out. I'm sure there are many others out there. There are marble um Iron sights have been around forever, and they've got a great reputation. And obviously, red dots, lots of those out there now. Yeah, that's a good subject. I cover scopes a lot, but I haven't done much of anything on uh, iron sights and red dots and whatever. I have put some some peep sights on some of my lever actions, and I'm enjoying those. So, yeah, that's a good one. Thanks for um, asking that, Scott. We will get to it. Now, here's from upstate New York, and I get a lot of stuff from upstate New York. There must be a lot of hunters up there. Good for you guys. This is Thomas. Hey, Ron, I love your website. Great information on there. I started shooting again, and I bought a Browning AB3. That's an A-Bolt 3, a less expensive version of the A-Bolt, and it's in 30-06 six for hunting whitetails. My question for you is, did I make a mistake sighting in that rifle with a six-pound bag of number six shot hanging from my sling stud. <laughs> oh, my goodness. This is a new one on me. I used to own a 25-06 back in the 80s to shoot woodchucks out of the back of my truck. The farmers loved me, of course, so they let me drive back into their highest location pastures in those hay fields and set up. That custom rifle was deadly out to 600 yards. I believe it. The reason I'm telling you all this is I've always shot from a portable workbench with a homemade tabletop and a bipod and a hanging six-pound bag of shot off of it. Wow. I added the heavy bag to hold the muzzle down so I could spot my own shots. Ah, now it's starting to make sense. There's a clever idea. At those distances, wind drift was critical, but now I could see the bullet strike the ground and make allowance. <laughs> Good, smart thinking there, partner. I never had uh, hunted or shot without that setup, but now I'm concerned when I hunt deer with my new rifle and that six-pound bag is removed after sighting it in, will the bullet still strike the same place? <laughs> no, it will not, sir. <laughs> I still enjoy sighting in the with the bag on there because uh, it's more comfortable. The recoil is less. It's easier on the shooter. It helps stabilize everything on the bench with less adjustment for the gun, blah, blah, blah. But do I have to take that, those six shots out of the bag and put them in my shot shells where they belong, <laughs> then recite my rifle? Yes, Thomas, you do. Put the six shot where it belongs and get it off of your rifle. <laughs> that is a clever idea for holding down your muzzle. <laughs> But it's not going to work in the deer woods. Could you just imagine walking around the deer woods with six pounds hanging off of the front of your stock? <laughs> oh, gosh, that's funny. Yeah, that is. Most of us even know that we should zero our rifles from the same type of rest we will use when hunting. In other words, if you're going to shoot like just standing offhand or even sitting, you want to do your final zero, holding your rifle as steadily as you can to see if it shoots higher or lower, if it's not bouncing off of any kind of a fence post or rock or limb or even a, a bipod of some kind. And uh, if you're going to be shooting off of a bipod with, say, a rubber 
little yoke on it, you'd want to do your final zero off of that because that can change how much it kicks up and or not and that sort of thing. Now, it's not as critical as hanging six pounds off of it. <laughs> That's going to make a huge difference. But it's good to know if your rifle is kicking a little bit high or shooting a little bit lower based on how much support it has under the fore end. You know, it just, it seems like that bullet is leaving so quickly that by the time that recoil has a chance to move the barrel, your bullet should be out. But I think there's just enough response in that microsecond that you can change. Because I've certainly seen it, and most other guys will say, hey, you can't shoot off of a hard rock like that without having your hand between the stock or a, a hat or a glove or something between the stock and the rock, or you're going to get kicking off and change your your shot especially if you have a fully bedded forend to the barrel your floating barrel you might give you a little better chance of not having that happen but definitely get rid of your six pound pendulums you don't need that up there Nate from Wisconsin hey Ron I'd love to hear what uh, some of your favorite classic hunting rifles are Two of my favorites are my dad's Remington Model 7600 in .30-06 and his Remington Model 742 Woodmaster in 7mm Remington. I've been watching and listening to you for years. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, those look sound like a couple of fun little rifles. I'll bet. Yeah, you're from Wisconsin. I say you're back in whitetail country in the woods somewhere. Yeah. Now, we, I, of course, grew up in the open farm country of South Dakota and then hunted a lot out west in the prairies and plains. And I did a lot of plains and then Rocky Mountain hunting. So we were more into the bold action rifles for long range accuracy. But I have worked a little bit with some auto loaders and pump actions like those Remingtons of your dad's. They can be fun. I have got to admit, I really enjoy a pump action rifle. I started off my shotgunning uh, when I got my first shotgun with my paper out money and working for my dad in the butcher shop for a dollar a day, <laughs> cleaning up for him, um, I saved up my shekels and I got a pump action Winchester. And I was deadly with that 12 gauge Winchester. Of course, when you're 15, 16 years old, you've got reflexes and eyesight and everything working to the to the prime and you can get to be a pretty good shot pretty quickly. So those were uh, just beloved guns that most of our, our first guns are. But since then, I have just worked with so many that I don't have any absolute favorites. The Model 70 Winchester Bold Action did become kind of my favorite just because it has such beautiful lines, nice balance, and of course, proven control drawn feed action. That isn't absolutely necessary. And a lot of guys will say, gosh, if you hunt dangerous game, you've got to have a control drawn feed action. I haven't found that to be the case. And I've even done some videos on my regular channel showing that you can jam up and or lose your round with a control down feed as much as you can or can't with the push feed. It, it's really interesting how they actually work in real life versus the theories about how you're going to lose your cartridge out of the push feed and you wouldn't out of the control down feed or fail to extract it properly and different things. But at any rate, I just really like the Winchester Featherweight Model 70. That to me was like the ultimate design. Um, since those days, of course, I've seen some custom rifles that I think equal and or better the lines of that one, but it's still one of my favorites. Um, one of my favorite rifles to hunt with that I've used over the years, and I just wrote it up, it's going to be in the next Gun Digest annual, 
was my ultralight arms model 20 in a 284 Winchester. That was my first truly, truly ultralight rifle. And I used it to take a lot of game in the West and Alaska and Canada, the kind of mountain hunting that you associate with sheep, for instance. Um, and uh, it worked so well, I ended up using it for whitetail and, and mule deer and elk and everything else. It was just a great rifle. I haven't used it for several years now because I have to keep up with new guns and go on hunts with different ones. And I end up not getting to hunt with my own rifles as much as I like to. I did pull the old uh, single shot Dakota Model 10 25-06 out a couple of years ago and used that quite a bit. And that was a hoot. I'd like to continue shooting with that some more. And then just recently, I picked up a 300 H&H Magnum chambered in the um, Park West Arms SD-76 rifle. This is pretty much the exact same rifle as the Dakota Model 76. Controlled round feed, a lot like the Winchester and or the Mauser style. Um, those rifles, of course, stopped making those when Remington broke up. That was one of the Remington companies. And the uh, new owners were not able to use the name Dakota so they had to come up with another one, and they came up with Park West, reflecting, they thought, the most valuable real estate in North America, perhaps the world, is on Park West Avenue in New York. So they thought, that's the best. So that's what we're going to name our rifles and our rifle company, Park West. I didn't get it being a country boy. I didn't know that. But uh, I certainly know their rifles. And when I tried this 300 H&H, oh, it's just sweet, beautifully balanced. It's a fairly heavy rifle, but classic in form. And it, it's so beautifully balanced that it does not feel heavy. I just, I hunted Africa with it last September. And man, it was just absolutely deadly. Shoots half MOA with my hand loads using hammer copper bullets. Woo. So that's kind of a new favorite rifle. But yours is a great question that I think a lot of us like to discuss, if not debate, in hunting camps or when we get together with other hunters. We just love to talk about our guns and our favorites and why. And it isn't always that they're the most accurate rifles in the world or the most the best looking rifles are there's just so much that goes into why we appreciate our rifles that I don't think you can nail it down to anything particular. You know, it might be because it was your dad's rifle or your grandpa's rifle or your best friend's rifle or something, but um, it doesn't really matter as long as we understand and appreciate those rifles. And I, I recommend that everyone do that, you know, just figure out what it is about your firearms and your other hunting tools, even your knives, even a good binocular, why they mean so much to you, and then treat them appropriately, take care of them, and they'll last you a lifetime. A lot to be said for that. Thanks for that one, Nate. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now, this one is from New Mexico. The gentleman's name is Michael. Hey, Ron, I love your content. Now, how about a breakdown or a comparison of the best uses for all of the AR-15 cartridges that are most commonly used, even if used in a bolt gun? I'm thinking 6.5 Grendel, 6 ARC, the 300 AAC blackout, you know, the little guys that surprise above their 5.56 cousin. Thanks and keep up the good work. That is not a bad idea, and I need to do that. As most of you know, I am not a really big fan of the AR-15s, and so many people are that I keep thinking I need to work with those more, and I probably will because I am starting to appreciate what these little short cartridges can do. I'm so used to high velocity and long range stuff. That's what we all doted on in the 20th century. When I was coming into the hunting markets in the late 60s and 70s, it was like, what's going to go faster and get down there, <laughs> way down range? But now there's so many guys hunting feral hogs and, and whitetail in small properties in thick cover and stuff where you don't need a long reach. And these little rifles are convenient the AR-15 is because you can swap out uppers and change chamberings and go from a 223 to a 450 Bushmaster, for instance, for the extremes, things like that. So they're really, really popular. Um, so yeah, that's a great idea. Um, I'd better work on that some more. We'll see if we can get around to it this summer. I talked to a few AR-15 manufacturers at the last SHOT Show, and they are ready to provide me with some test models to work with. I just have to make the time to do it. <laughs> and I don't know if I can get around to it this summer because we've got a lot of planting to do. We had a fire last year, and we've got to restore that. And uh, the fences were down. We got to fix those. I don't know. going to be a lot of work. Come on over, guys. I can keep you company. <laughs> All right. Here is one from Tom about boar snakes. Tom is from uh, Ontario, Canada. And he says, hey, boar snakes, do you think they are better for the rifling than the use of a cleaning style push rod? Some people think that rifling should only be cleaned toward the muzzle, not toward the breech or from the breech instead of the muzzle. At my old English boarding school, after shooting the school's 303 Lee-Enfield rifles, we were instructed to pour boiling water down the bore and then use a bore snake and patch to clean it. I'd be obliged, Ron, for your opinion. Yours sincerely, Tom. <laughs> Tom, you're opening a real hornet's nest here because there are so many opinions about how to properly clean a barrel. And boy, you can get called the task and dragged across a carpet by people who are insistent on it's their way or the highway for cleaning a barrel. But I keep asking this question of gunsmiths, gun makers, barrel makers, and I get every answer in the book. 
you know, some of them will insist that you have to clean from the breech, push forward, and then remove the jag, the patch, and everything to bring the rod back out without dragging it back through the bore. Others go back and forth and back and forth. Some say you can only use a brass rod. Some say you need a coated stainless steel rod. Um, it's all over the map. I don't know that there's an absolute answer. Now, it makes sense that if you have a hard rod and you push it all the way through the muzzle and the rod falls down and rubs right there on the edge of the rifling at the muzzle, yeah, there's a chance that you could eventually damage it. But barrel steel is awfully hard. I don't know if it's harder than every stainless steel rod out there, but it's certainly harder than a brass rod, which makes sense for recommending a brass rod. Uh, an aluminum rod, that's really soft, but then guys will say, well, your aluminum will pick up grit and abrasion, uh, and that could work on the rifling to damage it. But then others say, as long as you clean the rod every time you bring it out, you don't have dirt and abrasion. And that is one thing that I adopted years ago. I will have a towel around the rod as I shove it in and then pull it back out. Any grit on that is being sucked up by that towel. So I keep things really clean that way. And I haven't noticed my accuracy going south on any rifle I've cleaned that way. I will push it all the way through and try not to let it drop on the muzzle, but I don't freak out about it. Um, and I will pull my brushes back and forth. I figure if I have put my solvent in and I've let it work, do its chemical action and loosen things up, and I'm pushing a brush through, it's like scrubbing a pot back and forth and back and forth, and I'm scrubbing this stuff and loosening it up and then flushing it out with more solvent. So I don't know, other than the rod may be damaging, but man, a bronze brush or a hard nylon brush, which I'm using more and more these days, I don't see how that's going to damage the mouth of the muzzle where the rifling is ending and do some damage. So, And even if you do damage it, it's not that big of a deal. You can, like Brownells sells a tool for recutting or just kind of resurfacing the mouth of your barrel. So if you do have a little bit of a defect or a ding at the muzzle in the rifling, this thing cleans it up pretty nicely and it's pretty simple to do. I don't know, cost like 30, 40 bucks for this little kit. So that's my opinion. Yes, I do think it's probably just common sense to work from the back to the front rather than the other way around. But the other thing you want to do is maybe put in a bore guide in the breech that holds the rod centered so it's not hitting the rifling back at the breech. You know, it's, I don't think it's a big deal, but hey, it's not that much effort to do it that way, the right way, if it is the right way, I don't know. And then boiling, boiling water, nothing wrong with that as long as you oil things up afterwards. You don't want to pour boiling water down your rifle over and over again and leave it in there to dry and get rust in it. But for cleaning a bore, yeah, hot water's great. Um, I don't know if it's going to take, it's not going to take care of your copper fouling and probably not the lead fouling either, but um, gets a lot of the soot out. <laughs> so, hey, Anyone else have some grand ideas on cleaning, throw them out there because, like I say, I have heard it all, and it all seems to work and or not work. I don't really know, guys. That looks like the end of the questions for today. So, gosh, once again, guys, I want to thank you for the corrections. I want to thank our patrons for um, asking their questions. Of course, I answer patron questions as soon as they come in. 
if I'm home. Sometimes I'm actually out hunting <laughs> and I don't get to them for a couple of days, but patrons are first in line. We really appreciate all of our patrons. It's just wonderful to get their kind of support. You know, it's not just the, uh, the financial support they give us like most patrons do to the patron of the arts types. Uh, you get a little financial support and, and they in turn, of course, get some bennies from us and at the store and a newsletter and behind the scenes and some early access to our videos and things. But I just really appreciate the moral support I get from you folks. It really makes a difference. It brightens my day and makes all of this work worthwhile. But hey, I love doing these videos and visiting with all you folks. We have got a wonderful community here, and I appreciate the respect that you all show me. I try to reciprocate, and it makes for a, an unusual experience online these days. So thanks for all of it. Until next time, this is Ron Spomer, Hunt Honest and Shoot Straight.